The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the eighth chapter. The Gospel reading is printed on the back of your bulletin, or you can follow along in your pew Bibles on page 820. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and all the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Word of God, word of life. Please be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So who is this Jesus anyway? This really has been our question since, um, well, really since we uh, re-engaged with uh, those beautiful and familiar words about Jesus' birth from Luke chapter 2 on Christmas Eve. Right? Born uh, in the manger, born of the Virgin Mary, glorified by angels, visited by shepherds, right? The songs uh, from that heavenly chorus, glory to God in the highest. True words about Jesus for sure. But now that Jesus has grown up and started his ministry, who, who is he? Why is he here? 
Well, the very next Sunday, on December 29th, we entered into the Gospel of Mark. And we dove sort of right headfirst into the story of Jesus' uh, earthly life, his adult life. We heard the story of Jesus' baptism. And on that day, we remembered the story of the Spirit's descent like a dove, that voice um, that bellowed from heaven, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Who is Jesus? In the following weeks, we heard stories from those early chapters of Mark and learned tons about who Jesus is. As Jesus called his first disciples to help usher in God's kingdom, he called ordinary fishermen along with tax collectors and other sinners. Right? Who's Jesus? He's one who can do amazing things through faithful but ordinary people, maybe even the outcasts of society, the first disciples people like you, people like me. That question, though, continues. Who is Jesus? And, and, and when, when Jesus called a demon out of a possessed man, we learn that Jesus doesn't shun people like society does just because they're suffering, just because they're odd or different. And furthermore, this story taught us that Jesus is the one who merely with the words of his mouth, right, can change things according to his will. With the words of his mouth, Jesus casts out demons. He calms the storm. He forgives sin. He promises everlasting life. Who is Jesus? Right? Well, among those healing stories from Mark chapter 2 was the story of Jesus healing a man with leprosy. And of all things that, that, that amazed me about this story, the one that really stood out to me the most, is that Jesus not only touched this untouchable man, but but transformed him from one who was unable to be around others because of his disease to one who could now reconnect with his community. But what's interesting about that story is that just as that's happening for this man, when the word got out uh, that Jesus had that kind of power, he attracted such large crowds that Jesus himself was no longer able to go into town. Isn't that something? Jesus is even willing to trade places with those who are afflicted in order to make them well. The leper, alienated from society for years because of his disease, is healed of his leprosy and allowed to re-enter society. Meanwhile, Jesus is forced from town to live in isolation out in the country. That question persists. Who is Jesus? Last week, we read from Mark chapter 7, we remembered that Jesus is one who's far more interested in people and justice and community than about rules simply for the sake of rules. False piety, empty piety, doesn't serve people and communities and will have no place in Jesus' emerging kingdom. Well, we ask that question again today. Who is Jesus? And we address that question one last time in this season following Epiphany before we enter the season of Lent with this Wednesday, with Ash Wednesday. And, and where do we find ourselves asking that question? On a mountaintop. Along with Jesus' inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. It's interesting, though, before they climb that mountain, Jesus predicts his death for the very first time in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 8, verse 31. And with those words just sort of hanging in the air, now they ascend a high mountain together. And, and, and 
Out of nowhere, it seems, Jesus' appearance changes. His clothes turn dazzling white. Elijah and Moses, these great heroes of the Jewish faith, appear before, uh, before them. Peter is so overwhelmed that he hardly knows what to say. But he knows this is a special moment. Perhaps he thinks, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end of Jesus' earthly life that he was talking about. And uh, it's going to be like Elijah. And this big whirlwind is going to come down and, and take Jesus away. Maybe Peter just wants to preserve the moment. So he asks if he can build some shelters. Just some tents where they can be together for a few more moments. Maybe a few more days. Before Jesus' chariot of fire comes down and, and takes him away. But here is where... Jesus' story is radically different than that of Elijah. And here's where we learn something vitally important about who Jesus is. We already know that Jesus is God's son. That he has power over demons and evil. That he speaks authoritative, performative words. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He's willing to switch places with the least, the last, and the lost. But also we learn he will not be swept away on some chariot of fire. Elijah was a great prophet, asked to give witness to God's true and abiding word. He was called to challenge Israel to remain faithful, to implore them not to succumb to the temptations of idolatry and remain faithful. He spoke words against all who dared to put their trust in the false fertility gods around them in those days. He even spoke boldly against the leaders of Israel. And Elijah suffered tremendously for it. Many sought his life. He was often on the run from those who wished to kill him for, challenging, uh, for issuing these challenging words of God's truth. But before they could take Elijah's life, God sent a chariot of fire to sweep down and take Elijah up in a whirlwind. Elijah was spared the cruel death that so many in those days wanted for him. But not Jesus. No whirlwind on the mountaintop for Jesus. No chariot of fire. Certainly a booming voice that confirms his identity. This is my son, my beloved, listen to him. And then all returns to the way it was. Elijah and Moses are gone. The dazzling white clothes are just ordinary clothes. Again, Jesus' face looks like it did on the way up the mountain. And Jesus and his disciples go back down the mountain. And they don't, they don't just go back down to get back to the work of teaching and healing. They go back down so that Jesus may face his destiny. They go back down that Jesus might make his way to Jerusalem, face his accusers, his captors, his executioners, they go down the mountain that Jesus might face his death. Who is Jesus? That's, a, that's an important question, right? He is the one who will go all the way to reclaim humanity on behalf of his heavenly Father. He is one who will face the bitter sting of death on a cross in order to make us his very own. He is the one who will not escape when the road grows difficult or when the way grows tough. When the cheers and celebrations turn to cries of crucify him, when the kisses of love turn into spit in his face and thorns on his head, he will take it. No chariot of fire to rescue Jesus, only death 
and burial. He will rise again, of course, but that does not change the bitterness and agony of death. Was it an illusion or a trick? He really endured death, even death on the cross, for you and for me. No escape, no relief, just suffering and death. And this same Jesus calls his disciples to follow along. He says, right, before he went up the mountain, he not only predicted his death for the first time, but he told his disciples to pick up their crosses and follow him too. They may not have known what that meant exactly, right? But they followed him. They followed him up the mountain, and they followed him back down too. They followed Jesus to Jerusalem, to the foot of the cross, I know, they scattered. <laughs> uh, who wouldn't in the face of such a brutal death? But by the power of the Holy Spirit, they in time picked up their crosses too. Gave themselves up for the sake of this Jesus. And in the process, they found something totally new. Who is this Jesus? He's the one who gives of himself for the sake of the world. And he asks us to do the same. To lay down our lives, to give ourselves away for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of the world. There will be no chariot of fire for us either. At least not before we take the bitter drink of death too. But our Lord has paved the way so that our earthly death might be transformed into the gateway to new life with him. And in the meantime, now we're free, we're set free to give our lives away to our families, our neighbors, our employers, our congregations, to lay down our brokenness, our selfishness, our false gods of money and power and fame, to lay down our sin, our suffering, our very lives, confident that God will raise us up day after day after day. For we know who it is that we follow. We follow Jesus, the Son of God. We follow Jesus, the Word made flesh. We follow Jesus, the one with power over sin, death, and the devil. We follow Jesus, this one willing to die for us. Let us follow where he leads us. Let us listen faithfully to him.